Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. When I was a preteen, I was already kind of a mall rat. I mean, after all, that's where the CD store was, and that's where the Walden Books was. So I oftentimes on Saturdays spent my days whiling away at the mall. So when I found out about a competition at my local mall called Mall Masters, I was all over it. It was a quiz show aimed at junior high school students, kind of like Jeopardy, but there was two of you. It was in pairs. And so I went down to Golf View Square Mall in beautiful Newport Ritchie, Florida, with my friend Matt, and we won. And we won. We won a trip to Orlando. And by trip to Orlando, I mean that he and I got tickets to Epcot. Our families had to pay to get in. All of his siblings had to pay to get in. We needed to get a hotel to be in Orlando for this early morning event because we were going to participate in the International Mall Masters competition. It was underwhelming. It was quite the grift to get people into Epcot. Looking back now, I'm amazed not that amazed because I have children this age now, but man, they were giving away a language translator. Yeah, a whole language translator. If you won the international competition of being the most smartest guy in the mall. Things went pretty rough for us. The first question that we were asked was, who fought in the French and Indian War? And my partner in crime, Matt, very quickly mashed our ring-in button, he was called on, and with a look of smug superiority, he said, the French and the Indians. <laughs> that was pretty much the peak. That was the best moment. Everything was sort of downhill from there, but hey, I got to go to Epcot. The trouble was, as 12-year-olds, we thought that we were the smartest people in the world. We presumed that we knew so much. We even knew about the French and Indians and their epic war. But we didn't know nearly as much as we thought we did, and it caught up with us. Sometimes, if you've been a Christian for a while, or if you're a serious Christian, the kind of Christian that comes to church even when it's on Boxing Day, even when Sunday falls on that day after Christmas, even when you're tired from the festivities, you still show up. If that's maybe who you are and who I am, sometimes we have this problem that we presume to know what God says about things, but we don't. One of the paradoxes of the Christian faith is that the more that we understand the Bible— the more that we understand that we don't know. The word of God is rich and full of truth, but there is so much that the Bible doesn't say. There's all sorts of questions that we have, some of them intellectual. I'd really like to know where Melchizedek came from, where he went, what's, what's the deal with that? Something's going on strange there, and I got some questions, God. Or how about the details of sort of morally complex problems that the Bible doesn't address head on? 
And our temptation, our temptation, especially as Christians, is to put words into God's mouth. Be more certain than we ought to. To say that God is clear in places where, frankly, he is not. This is a temptation for all of us as we grow in our knowledge of the word of God. But when we presume, when we presume to know what God says when he is silent, we're making an incredibly dangerous move. We are in danger of adding to the word of God, which has disastrous consequences for us. And so this morning, I want to read a short story. Uh, It's one of my favorites from the life of Jesus, uh, but it's rather short. And so I'd ask that you would stand. I'm going to read uh, Matthew 17, 24 through 27, and ask that you would stand and listen and follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, Yes. When he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. This short vignette of a story begins with Peter being asked a question. And probably the first thing you notice when you look at this, when you look at this question, is it's phrased kind of strangely. Does not your teacher pay the tax? Does your teacher not pay the tax? If you've ever lived with another person, you know what kind of question this is. This is the kind of question that assumes the answer is yes, that the answer better be yes. It's kind of like the question, you took out the trash, right? If you don't say yes to that question, there are problems. That was the same thing that was going on. These these tax collectors came to Peter and said, Jesus pays this tax, right? And for us, we're like, okay, great. Why is there any question about taxes? There's two things that are sure in life, death and taxes. But what's actually going on here is they're actually kind of trying to corner Peter and Jesus in the middle of this complex theological debate. In Exodus chapter 30, the Bible says that whenever they were to take a census in the kingdom of Israel, they should have every male pay two drachmas to ransom their soul back. God didn't want the kings of Israel to start to believe that they were something because the the kingdom of Israel had grown numerically. And so he discouraged them from taking censuses. Sensei? Censorises. And so... By the time you get to Jesus, this tax that was to accompany a census has become something that is hotly debated. The Sadducees said, no, 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 that's only about censuses. I'm going to have to stop saying that word. I'm sorry. The Sadducees said, no, you don't have to pay that. Nobody has to pay that. We're not paying that. And then the Essenes, the Essenes said, oh, no, no, you pay that once in your life and you're good. 
And the Pharisees, this is on brand for them, said, no, no, you need to pay it every year. And not only do you need to pay it every year, you need to pay it in the month before Passover. And so when they come to Jesus, and when they're collecting this tax, when they're asking Peter about this, they're wanting Jesus to weigh in. What say you, Jesus? Is it the Sadducees that are right? How about the Essenes? Or or how about the Pharisees? Who is right here? But Peter quickly answers. Does your teacher pay the tax? Oh, yeah. Yes, he pays the tax. Peter answers. But here's the thing. We have no evidence anywhere else that Jesus ever paid this tax. If this was a yearly tax, it never shows up in any of the Gospels. In fact, this story is the only time in the New Testament that this two drachma tax is ever mentioned. But Peter seems quite sure of himself. Peter seems to know, oh, yes, 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 Jesus pays that. And then Peter gets home, and Jesus speaks first. I love the way that Matthew did that. It's almost as if Peter walks in the door and Jesus is standing there smiling, waiting waiting for him. Poor Peter. A lot of people have a lot of questions for Peter today. Because as soon as he walks in the door, Jesus hits him with, well, what do you think, Peter? Who should pay taxes? Who normally pays taxes, Peter? Is it the family of the king or is it everybody else? Peter kind of sheepishly says it's... It's everybody else. It's not the family. And Jesus sort of gets a little bit closer in and says, so then, so then the sons are free, huh, Peter? And Peter, of course, agrees with him. There's two things I want you to note from Jesus' little mini parable here. First, Jesus seems to be saying that as a son of God, he is exempt from this tax. The sons are exempt from the tax. The sons are free. So Peter may have been wrong in assuming that Jesus was on the Pharisee side here. But the second thing I want you to notice is the language that he uses. He keeps using this language of the sons are free. If you have your Bible open in front of you, let your eyes go earlier in chapter 17. If you're in an app, scroll up. What story does this fish tale that we're about to read come on the heels of? It comes on the heels of the transfiguration. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the top of a mountain, and he showed them himself in all of his glory. And Peter, as he is wont to do, sticks his foot in his mouth and says, Jesus, it's good that we're here. We should make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But Peter is interrupted by a voice from heaven. And what does that voice from heaven say? This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Just days before Peter is asked about this tax and given this parable about taxes and sons and daughters of the king, he had heard clearly from God himself that this is his beloved son. But then Jesus says, after he gives Peter this mini parable, after he says, hey, A son of God is exempt. He says, you know what, though? Let's go ahead and pay this tax so as not to give offense. Look, if if anybody knows what Moses meant in Exodus chapter 30, it was Jesus. 
He was the ultimate author. He was the ultimate authority on this issue. He could have sided with any of the crew that he wanted to, or he could have said, all of y'all are wrong, or he could have said, you got this right and you got that wrong. He could have shown how exactly Moses meant this to be, but he doesn't. He says, you know what? In order to not give offense, let's go ahead and pay the tax, even though I'm exempt. It seems that for Jesus... This is a second-tier issue and not one worth fighting about. Now, there's going to come a time where Jesus is going to fight about stuff with the temple. Just a few chapters later, we're going to find the story of Jesus making a whip and chasing people out of the temple. Things literally worth fighting about, Jesus is going to fight about. But this two drachma tax, no, no, not really worth it. We would do well to remember that there are things that are worth fighting about and things that are not worth fighting about, especially us Presbyterians. We are so quick to correct folks over minor and tertiary issues. The slogan for many of us may as well be, well, actually, we think that we have it all together, that everyone else needs to fall in line with our details and our nuance. But let me be frank. When we do that, there's spiritual pride and it doesn't come from Jesus. As we walk with Jesus, we should be growing in humility, a deeper understanding of God and his word that doesn't lead to a deeper and greater sense of humility is soul suicide. Knowledge puffs up. Anytime we enter into a, a theological or a moral debate without deep humility, we are taking a knife to our own heart. Anytime we hop on Twitter and ratio somebody for a bad take, we are scratching wounds into our own souls. Beloved, there are some things worth fighting for and there are some things that just aren't. If that is true for Jesus, it is infinitely more true for you. But when Jesus decides to pay the tax, that's when the story gets really interesting. Not for the reasons you think it gets really interesting here, though. Because a lot of us, sort of, our eyes, our attention is drawn to the fish story part of all of this. Because on the rankings of Jesus' miracles, this is definitely an odd one, right? It seems almost like an illusion or a, a magic trick that somebody would do. Like, hey, that fish has money in its mouth must not have cleaned its ears, right? It's a strange miracle for Jesus to tell Peter, hey, just go throw a hook in, catch a fish, and you'll have some money. No, no, no. If we, if we focus on that fish story, we miss the bigger point. Jesus, the glorious son of God, who has recently shown himself in all of his glory to all of his closest friends. Jesus, the unique and only begotten son of God, who doesn't need to pay this tax. Jesus, the sinless Savior, who doesn't need to be ransomed, as Exodus 30 talks about. He doesn't need to be rescued. Jesus is there. And then there's Peter. Peter who, you know, said we should build three tabernacles because Jesus and Moses and Elijah are all pretty much the same. Peter, who Jesus included when he said, oh, ye of little faith, earlier in this chapter. Peter, who was distraught and distressed, the Bible says, when Jesus told them about his death and resurrection. Peter, who speaks up for Jesus when he doesn't know the answer. 
Those are our two characters. And then he says, go catch a fish. And when you catch that fish inside of its mouth is going to be a shekel. Fun Bible trivia time. A shekel is worth four drachma, which is interesting. Because not only when he goes and catches this fish, not only is Jesus paying for himself, he's paying for Peter. Jesus is paying Peter's ransom tax. Peter is free because he too is a child of God. The children of the king are free from the tax. And Jesus is declaring that Peter is a child of the true king. The story of taxes being paid by fish is not ultimately a fisherman's tale. It's ultimately an adoption story. Jesus, our great savior, has paid our ransom for us. Jesus has paid for our sins. The blood of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus make it possible for you and I to be adopted as the children of God. If you are trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are a part of this unlikely family. Even at your worst, even at your worst, and Peter's got some more worst to come, But even at his worst, we are all still beloved of the Father because of the work of the Son applied to us by the Holy Spirit. And this adoption isn't just an individual thing. It's not just me and Jesus and my Bible. Rather, we are adopted into a family. That's why we just vowed to help Will and Katie to raise Ellis. That is why we help one another when we are hurting. This is why... We correct one another in gentleness. It's why we show love and grace and patience to one another because we are all sinners adopted by God into one new family. None of us could pay our ransom. So it was paid by a miracle, not of a fish having money in its mouth, but of a sinless savior offering up his life as a ransom for many. Let us rejoice church in what God has done. Let us rejoice together in what God has made us to be. Let us see the miracle that the sinless Savior has paid on our behalf through a miracle. Let's pray.